Hi, I'm Dr. Fred Silva of Arcana Laboratories, coming to you from Little Rock, Arkansas, with another installment of Throwback Thursday. From Dropsy and Bright. Bright's disease was once a familiar term applied in general to medical renal diseases. We still see an occasional much older patient who is told they have Bright's disease, although I suspect those days are coming to a close. Bright's disease was sometimes applied to diffuse non-infectious bilateral renal disease with albuminuria and sometimes symptoms associated with uremia. We have discussed Richard Bright's life and his seminal 1827 publication in other podcasts, and I'll refer you to those. Here, we will focus on dropsy and Richard Bright's contribution to its understanding. The prehistory of Bright's disease, according to a review by Stephen Peitzman in the Millbank Quarterly, 1989, was dropsy. From a number of patients with dropsy, Richard Bright, beginning in 1820s, would recognize a special subset of patients with dropsy, quote, the forebearer of all renal patients, end of quote. The etymology of the term dropsy, meaning a morbid accumulation of watery liquid in a part of the body, comes from a shortening of Middle English e-dropsy, that's spelled Y-D-R-O-P-S-Y, from the old French, I'll spell it, I-D-R-O-P-S-I-E, and from Latin, hydriosis, H-Y-D-R-O-I-S-I-S, and ancient Greek, hydrops, meaning water. Boy, I'm glad we got through that. For many centuries, two forms of serious chronic disease dominated medical practice, consumption, TB, and dropsy. William Cullen, a physician and nosologist, discussed dropsy in his 1787 edition of First Lines of the Practice of Physic. Dropsy was often associated with a scarcity of urine, but according to him, quote, is probably generally occasioned by the watery part of the blood running off into cellular tissue and being thereby prevented from passing in the usual quantity, end of quote. Not bad. Cullen did not see dropsy as a cardiac or renal disease, though. The famous Samuel Johnson suffered from asthma and dropsy and told of his experience to Boswell as such, quote, A dropsy gains ground on me. My legs and thighs are very much swollen with water, which I should be content if I could keep it there, but I'm afraid it will soon be higher, end of quote. In early 1784, Dr. Johnson's pulmonary and peripheral edema resolved. He says, quote, Last week I emitted in about 20 hours full 20 pints of urine, and the rumor of my body is very much lessened, end of quote. Boswell included this post-devotional discharge of fluid in The Life, making it the most famous diuresis in English history. However, the dropsy returned and, quote, water grows fast upon me, end of quote. As noted in other podcasts in 1827, Dr. Richard Bride of Guy's Hospital published the first volume of his Reports of Medical Cases, with one half dealing with patients 
with dropsy, the first 24 cases revealing Bright's discovery. Certain patients with dropsy had albumin in their urine detected by the spoon and candle method of heat coagulation and previously recognized many of these patients showing morbid changes in the kidneys at autopsy. Many patients with dropsy suffered from nausea and vomiting, headaches, pericarditis, seizures, amounting to what later would be recognized as uremia. The detection of albuminuria was arguably the first modern practical laboratory aid to diagnosis. In 1842, Bright received permission from the managers of Guy's Hospital to assign, during the summer, a number of beds to receive only renal cases for careful, prospective, clinical, and laboratory study, the first of its kind that I know of. Bryce disease may be the earliest regularly used eponymous name for a disease in English. It is the only such disease name in the index to the 1844 edition of Thomas Watson's lectures on the principles and practice of physics. As Carl Linnaeus von Linné indicated, quote, if you do not know the names of things, the knowledge of them is lost too, end of quote. Even Stephen Jay Gould has suggested that classifications are written or fossilized histories of conceptual revolutions or something like that. Although no one morbid appearance defined Bright's disease, Bright's disease was a new sort of namings because it represented a new way of thinking about and defining disease. However, by 1950, the term may have outlived its usefulness and doctors finding it old-fashioned with the new discoveries and publications of types of renal diseases. Bright's disease was still appearing in 1948 in Henry Christian's book and that of Stanley Bradley, former chief of medicine at Columbia PNS in 1959, who would occasionally come to Dr. Prani's weekly biopsy conferences. I got to know him a bit. Virchow, in 1858, seeking simplicity or emulating Dr. Bright, suggested, quote, parenchymatous or parenchymatous nephritis, interstitial nephritis, and amyloid degeneration, end of quote. Later investigators developed other trinitary organizations of renal disease highlighted in other podcasts. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes and Google Play stores. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.